1: Welcome everyone. I'm very happy this evening to have, as our speaker, Mark Split, who's coming to us from New Mexico, who's, uh, actually a long time practitioner, uh, somewhat new to Ancient Dragon, but also very dedicated. He comes every morning to Ancient Dragon, and, um, yeah, uh, I'm, uh, very happy to have Mark giving the talk this morning, uh, this evening, and, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Well, first of all, um, thank you for allowing me to have a chance to do this. Um,
2: You know, it's just, it's another way of being a fully participating member in the Sangha as far as letting the Sangha uh, meet me, know a little bit about me because I've never been in physically in your Zendo. Um, Everything I have done in the practice at Ancient Dragon uh, the last 14 months has been um, online. And, um, you know, I was listening to the talk yesterday on... On uh, the harmony of difference and sameness, right? And, uh, you know, you guys are in Chicago. I'm out 10 miles out of Las Cruces out in the desert. And, um, you know, you guys had a high of 65 today and we were 87 and, um, it's 702 at my time and 802 your time, right? And, um, but in the meantime, You know, all of us are here in in the same universe and, uh, and we all sat quietly together breathing, breathing the same air and, and, um, and hopefully we'll, uh, share some, our
1: consciousness tonight also. So, um, When Taigan asked me to to do
2: this about a month ago, one of the first things I saw I thought of was, you know, a, a, a way-seeking mind talk, and this is something I did at my own at my old sangha uh, when I first became a member there. Also, and uh, and of course, it's completely changed in the five years since then. Um, some some are you know some some is uh, different insights and. And overall, um,
1: there's a different emphasis, maybe. Um, The the way-seeking mind, I think of, you know, kind of when
2: it started for me. You know, it started when I kind of realized there was many different ways of looking at the universe. And it happened when I was about 20 years old. And I took a substance that a lot of the Native Americans take for uh, for um consciousness expansion. And um a couple of lessons came out of that. And you know, the first that the first was there's a there's so much more to the world of what I what I was seeing. And you know, I learned that there's a lot of different realities out there. And, um you know another thing I learned in that process is is how um we layer how we view ourselves in our opinion and develop this sense of self that isn't real and I think the last major lesson was um, the fact that you know the interconnection of all life, and to realize that on a basic level in the heart, not in the head, and um so, you know, that kind of stuck with me that that there was a whole different way of seeing this world. Um A couple of weeks ago, uh, Florence Caplow gave a talk on
1: seeds, uh, one of the Sunday morning Dharma talks, and it was two weeks ago, and, and uh, three weeks ago, and and I was thinking back to some of the seeds that influenced me. And if you think about it, you know, why? what is attractive to all
2: of us that we come and sit facing a wall for 35 or 40 minutes or more and uh, and do this over and over again? You know, get up every morning and do it. And, you know, what's the attraction of that? And, uh, and I think all of us have, you know, a reason that brought us here, you know, uh, the fact that we would even attempt something like that, right? Uh, people, uh, if I tell people something like, you know, they, they, they give me the stink eye and, and, uh, and wonder what's wrong with me. And, uh, but we do it and it's part of our lives. And, um, you know, for me, there, there was a couple seeds that happened. Um, in the late 18 or 1980s, early 1990s, I be, uh, was an avid follower of Gary Snyder and his, his poems, his essays. I was attracted to the way uh, he expressed himself, the depth of his thinking. Um his points of view on the environment and many other issues and i I was attracted to his mind and his way of being, and I couldn't get enough
1: of his of his
2: all his books, you know, and I've read them there's always one of his books on my bedstand at night so you know and and he was a practicing Buddhist, you know one of the first uh, an essay I read of his was in 1956 when he went to Japan to practice, and he talked about his first uh, sushin during rohatsu, and uh, and it be, you know it was an attraction to me. It interested me, and it's something that I thought I oh, you know I'd like to try something like that. So it became kind of a seed, and um, and this is the time that because of that you know I started sitting i got a zafu and uh and struggled with it because i was trying to sit kind of you know i was also uh, another thing was suzuki's
1: Zen Mind beginner mind so i was following that as kind of my template and part you know part of the part of the exploring this practice was you know getting that
2: and uh and struggling with it for a while you know I could sit 15 20 minutes and and just uh the pain would just it just be in my mind all the time so it was it was a struggling sitting and all of a sudden I figured out you could turn it on its side and and kneel and it, and it became a game, a game changer for me. I could now all of a sudden sit like an hour and all the adva- advantages of that, of uh, sitting for a longer time. And I started noticing some of the things that were coming up in my mind. It became very interesting. But, uh, But I kind of didn't stick with it. You know, I do it two or three days a week and one day the next week and three days the following week. And and it never, I didn't get into any kind of consistency. And uh, another thing I came across at the same time, and in fact, my copy of Zen Mind Beginner's Mind is from 1990. And I first heard about it because of a guy named Phil Jackson was coaching the bulls at that time. And what he did is when he was coaching the Bulls, he would give all his players two books at the beginning of the year. And one of them was then mine, beginners mind and the other one what he thought would fit each player individually. And uh so, you know, just hearing about that, I went and bought it and, and read it and and a lot of I couldn't make couldn't make any understanding out of it. It just struck, you know, it was all that Zen kind of stuff that
1: uh that twists your head around and you don't know what they're talking about. And and uh, but it piqued my interest. And uh and then the third book, Third Seed, was I picked
2: up a copy at a used bookstore when I was living in Elmhurst, Illinois. And uh and it was by Bernie Glassman. And um it was called Cooking Your Life. And it was this wonderful book about practice and then taking that practice off the cushion and helping other people. Um he, You know, he started uh, a bakery and, and, and things like this. And uh, also one of the things he did that's going to affect me later is he would take his people in the saga. He did a couple things. One of them was he would take them to like Dachau or Auschwitz and they would sit and um, just see what comes up. And then, you know, out of that would be action. And uh, another thing he did with the saga is he would take them all and they would go live on the street for four or five days. You'd have twenty dollars in your pocket, and you all
1: had to go live on the street and survive. You had to be homeless, and you know, stuck in my head as far as wow, what a you know, what a thing to do, and what an experience, and and uh, and he called it bearing witness, and uh, and later on, that's going to come back into
2: kind of my practice because the first song I sat with. A lot of our things came out of the Zen Peacemakers, Bernie Glassman's, you know, a lot of the literature, chants we read and, 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 you know, we kind of, uh, you know, got involved with, um, feeding people down in El Paso and Juarez as they came
1: across the border. But the, you know, these things became seeds. And, uh, but, but they were there. Nothing much happened, right?
2: And you know, I want to read a thing that's kind of an influence in what happened for me. And this is a thing from Gary Snyder, a short poem. And the poem is called "On Top," and it's in the book Axe Handles, one of my favorite books of his. And it says, "All this new stuff goes on top. Turn it over. Turn it over. Wait." water down, from the dark bottom turn it inside out, let it spread through, sift down even, watch it sprout, mind like compost. We read that again, all this new stuff goes on top, turn it over, turn it over and wait, water down, from the dark bottom turn it inside out, let it spread through, Sift down even and watch it sprout a mind like compost. And so these little seeds sat
1: for a while. So this was happening about 1993. And, um, and then about 2008, I had a catalyst happen for me that really brought me to practice. And for most of my life, I had been an addict. And, uh, and all the things that went along with that. And I'm talking, you know,
2: more on than off, for almost 38 years, I was a heroin addict. And uh, in 2008, I was really lucky because I got arrested and incarcerated.
1: And then I was lucky to become homeless as a result of being incarcerated, you know, four months.
2: And uh, and I look back at that today of what a changing point
1: for that that was for me. I had this situation where, as it was happening, everything everything I held on to and thought I knew about myself. It
2: melted away. It was gone. I had nothing, you know,
1: all the things that I thought about myself and held to be true, gone. And it was very kind of a freeing moment. And and when it happened, I remembered the book by Bernie Glassman. And... What he did with the whole, you know, how they went and lived homeless and, and were bearing witness and, and then would do what they could to people they came across on the street. And, uh, and you know, it kind of gave me some hope in a way. And, uh, and I it was only, you know, I was only like that for a month. But it was in January of
2: 2008, and it was, you know, uh, highs of zero in the day, in the day and, and things like that. So you spent a lot of time in the library to hang out a day and then go to the, the shelter to sleep at night. But what I started doing is I'd get up at 4, 4.30 in the morning so I could sit. And everybody else would still be sleeping. This is before they got up at 6 to have their breakfast, and then you get thrown out
1: for the day. And I just started sitting every day for an hour or so. And uh, and then people started noticing that, the people
2: there. And all of a sudden, one of the people who ran the place, it was a, uh, the Catholic Charities ran it. And they come up to me and said, hey, you know, we have this place that if you have some income coming in, and we can put you, you know, they had a, a home, two-story home, and everybody got their own room, et cetera, and shared that. And And uh, so I lived similar like that between that place and another halfway house for two years. And during that time, I led this somewhat monastic life, simple. I was living on $525
1: a month, paying about 300 in rent, boom, and living, you know, living on the rest. It looked very simple. The first year I walked everywhere. I would
2: get up in the morning at uh, 5 or 5.30. I'd sit for an hour, um, go to a, go to a 12 step meeting, go to, go to an NA meeting. Uh, sit in the afternoon, another half hour, 45 minutes. Uh, maybe do another meeting in the
1: evening and then maybe do another short 10 minutes. And I did this every day. And, uh, you know, the second year I stayed up and got a bicycle.
2: And, and the reason why is, you know, because when I was in my addiction, I had a tendency to fall asleep and run into people my license. And uh and that's kind of what my life was. So what this did
1: this process of of practice and living this simple life it allowed me to kind of reset and and start you know I started learning how to live. Because let's face it, a person
2: who saw the world in such a way that that
1: would make heroin addiction attractive, I wasn't seeing things right. So I come across,
2: you know, I just started sitting. And then I would come across these things like the Four Noble Truths, and and it just gave me this this hope. And I know I was looking at them at the surface level. But... Man, it just, it just, you know, it gave a
1: sense of hope. And then to learn how to live and learn how to live in a way
2: uh that is meaningful. It was things like the Eightfold Path and the Precepts.
1: And they, you know, it just became my code, what I live by. Learning, learning how to be different. The, early on, I came across, of course,
2: because I was in recovery, I came across the fifth precept. And, of course, the first thing is um, to not intoxicate the mind. And that's just that quick first reading. you know. And I stole something I hung on to. But then as I got into it and started looking at all the ways that I was intoxicating my mind, it just became a, a deep, deep, deep practice. You know, from looking at when I got bored opening a refrigerator and things like that and just things that I did. And,
1: and all this was coming out as a result of Zazer. During this time, though, as part as when I started looking at the fifth preset, intoxicating the mind, it
2: reminded me of what Peter Coyote talked about when he was coming out of his heroin addiction, is the use of Zazen as, as an intoxicating mind. And, uh, and that's where the Zen Mind Beginner's Mind, again, came into my life. All these all these things about practice, different ways that Suzuki Roshi talks
1: about practicing with no gain. And uh and when I you know over the weekend because I was
2: giving this talk, I kind of I went back to this a little bit. And just some of the a couple of the things that as I as I came across it again, it it, it brought tears to my eyes. I was reading this over the weekend, and it it just reminded me of what such
1: a big part, where I'm at today, came out of this. And just in part one about right practice, a little section under
2: Zazen practice and direct expression of our true nature. Strictly speaking, for a human being, there's no other practice than this practice. There's no other way of life but like this way. And it was just that simple practice of zazen. And then I would get into, you know, like posture. These forms are not a means of attaining a right state of mind. Take this posture as itself to have the right state of mind. There is no need to abstain, obtain some special state of mind. And man, that just became part of me. And, uh, and I, you know, I would read it and put it away and practice for another few months and I'd read it again. All of a sudden stuff started clicking. The more I sat, the more I understood it. And then I would take a little section, maybe on breath. Well, first of all, it would be posture and I would just sit with the posture part for a few months. Just concentrate there. Then I concentrate on the breath. Other little things. It just became a part of me, and it was a really
1: special time in my life. Um, As this went on, you know, my life changed. My practice was always
2: the same. First thing in the morning, I'd get up very early, 5.30 or so. Um, Once I got a job where I had to be somewhere at 7, I'd get up at 4.30 so I could sit at that hour. And I met Karen at this time. And... uh, And, you know, we started a relationship and and she practiced and we'd get up and practice together for years. And this went on to like 2018. We'd just get up and practice every day. And it became this practice of nothing special. Just became like getting up and brushing your teeth in the morning. Didn't think about it. You just got up and did it. And like brushing your teeth instead of. You do it so you don't offend somebody with your breath. I would sit zazen so I wouldn't offend somebody with what I said out of my mouth. Oh, and became, became that. Um, in 2018, I went to, I started, um, we, we started to think about retiring here and, um, in New Mexico. And I've always been wanting to get involved with a saga. I thought that would be kind of the next step. And I got involved with both sides, no sides, endo down in uh down in El Paso. I drive 45 miles every Sunday to go sit with them. And the reason why I picked this read the chant today is because it was one of my favorite ones, because we would do uh the heart suture in English. We would sit 30 minutes, walk five, sit 30, and then do the, the one in Japanese. And I can remember just standing there, you know, in in the position and and not understanding any of it. And it was and just swaying to the rhythm of the of that beat and it was it a was a magical reading, you know, a magical chant and, and uh to just let it wash over you. Um at that time, the first year I sold my Wagesa, which is what we had there in the Matsuoka lineage. And uh it was a little sash and you uh you took a refuge in the Buddha Dharma saga, three treasures. The next year I sewed my Rakasu And uh and this is where I came across Asian. And she was uh she introduced me to Ancient Dragon in a way because I was struggling with this sewing because he he just threw me to the walls and Look it up online, figure it out, and do it. And, uh, you know, it took me a while, but I did it. Um, I want to move on a little t- towards the end here is the last year uh, of what I've experienced. Uh, back in June 2022, Asian gave a talk that I tuned into Ancient Dragon for. And it was on not taking what is freely given. And uh, and I thought, well, maybe maybe I'll check this place out. So I saw that they sit every every day, and I thought, wow, that's, I like that, you know, because it's part of what I was doing.
1: And uh, so I started sitting for two weeks, and then my teacher died, and at that time, basically, fell into ancient dragon
2: zangate. And this this saga has so much to offer. My practice has just expanded into so many different areas, and and the discipline of getting up every day, Monday through Monday through uh, Wednesday, six o'clock our time, making sure my butt's out of bed, ten, ten minutes before it's dark, so I settle, get on the cushion. And, you know, I'm thankful for Douglas and Jerry and David for those, you know, that part, you know, what you guys do to do that and, and make that available for those of us who like to sit every morning is fantastic. And all the things that you offer, you know, the talks, talks going back to 2007, if you want to go down the rabbit hole
1: the people, the quality of speakers, the teachers that you have within the saga. And, you know, I'm just
2: starting to take advantage of, of these. I got back into doka again after the practice period back in the spring, the two-month practice period. Now, part of that practice period was finding a way to, to, uh, to volunteer and get back. So I volunteered to do uh, the Facebook page and start posting more often on that. Um. You know, it's it just it's it's made me feel part of a community. It's helped in my discipline. The fact that you sit with people and sitting online to me is no different than if I was sitting in the sun. It really isn't. And there's a number of us who sit like that during the week that feel the same way. I know Chris Cadman and Dini, and these people show up every day, and uh, and it's become part of their life. And, you know, I hope I can, uh, get that across, I guess, to, uh, as far as into social media to let people know this is available, that if you're geographically challenged, you can practice with the side and practice in a meaningful way.
1: You know,
2: the idea of getting up every day and bowing to that cushion to me, it just feels right. And, uh, I might struggle with other forms, but that one just feels right after, after hearing the guy talk, uh, two weeks ago where he struggled with that. Uh, so I, I want to close a little bit and finish up. I got a, a couple quick readings here. And the first one was from yesterday. There was the last line kind of reminded me of some stuff of the harmony of, um,
1: of difference and sameness, and uh, so it's uh, progress is not a matter of far and near. But if you are
2: confused, mountains and rivers. Go. And the last one, I respectfully urge you who study the mystery, not pass your days and nights in vain. And it reminded
1: me of two things I was going to finish with today here. And one is... And it's by Mary Oliver. And I talked about this a couple of Fridays ago. And it's at the end of her poem uh, on death.
2: And it's and she says, When it's over, I want to say all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it is over. I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. And then the last thing is how we used to end our service at both sides, no sides. It's called the evening gotha. Let me respectfully remind you, life and death are of supreme importance. Time swiftly passes by and opportunity is lost. Each of us should strive to awaken. Awaken, take heed, Do not
1: squander your life. So yes, be a bride married to a base. Thank you. Can you hear me? Uh, no. So uh, we have time. Uh for comments, responses, questions from Mark. Um, very inspiring. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Uh Please, uh, uh, don't, uh, with your comments and questions, please be a little brief so that other people can speak as well. And please uh, be, feel free. Nicholas. Hi,
3: Mark. Um, uh, it's great having you in the Sangha. And, um, we did talk on the phone once, so I got to know you a little bit, but, um, uh, we share, uh, uh, you know, the same experience with uh, addiction. I was a meth addict, you were a heroin addict. I was incarcerated in the early 90s in San Francisco for a number of months and I really think it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it kind of broke me open in a way and humbled me in a way that I just don't think you'd get <laughs> in any other form other than uh, you know, having your liberty taken away. Um, so I just wanted to say that I have that in common with you as well. The Gary Snyder piece, and he was just such a backdrop of, of Buddhism at, at that time, and, you know, seeped into um, a lot of my teachers and a lot of the ways that we would practice um, and so, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Oh, I did have one question. You said that something, uh, I, I missed what you said. It something allowed you to sit longer and then you used to, you flipped it or what, what, what did you say? What was that again? Could you repeat that? You 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 talked about you were sitting, you know, for like 20 minutes or
2: whatever. Then something, what was the word? I, I missed the word. You well, it was, it was turning the Zafu on its side and kneeling. So, I mean, now I have a Caesar bench. And you know, to me I, there's this there's it takes all the variables of the physical part out, it just becomes being able to just So you found
3: posture, you're down your seat in a way that worked for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it takes a while. <laughs> it took me a long time. Thank you. Thank you, Nicholas. People, comments, questions, responses to what else. Mark, um, I don't think I have a question, but I
3: just want to express my gratitude, uh, for, for, um for practice friendship. And, uh, you know, you said the word monastic, you know, and our, our weekday morning zazen crew really feels monastic online and, uh, uh, Hogetsu mentioned it, you know, uh, that, you know, just I-, I log in every morning and there you are, you know, there you are, a, a mountain or a bag of rice or whatever, whatever metaphor you want to, you want to use.
1: But yeah, I just, uh, I'm strengthened by your practice. So thank you. Thank you.
0: Jerry.
1: Um, Mark, thank you very much for a wonderful talk. Um and I just have a comment too. What really resonated with me is getting up every day and sitting Sazan like brushing your teeth. And the, the, the way it changed what you how you spoke and what you said. And that was a big that was a big change in my life. That, what I said and how often I talked and when I talked changed completely. I started. And I, it, was, it wasn't until the change was made that I even noticed it. It was just like a, it, I just sort of moved there almost unconsciously and I woke up and even my friends said, whoa, 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 what's with you? Yeah. <laughs> so it, yeah, that really, thank you for a really wonderful. Oh, I really, um,
0: Wanted to thank you as well, Mark. I um I was really very, very moved by your story and um, you know, pieces that I didn't know and pieces that I did know. I do consider myself to be very fortunate amongst all of our mutual friends that even though you and Karen moved away, I get to see you very frequently. So the, that has been wonderful. Um and yeah, but um I, I wanted to say I, I've also, I think, gotten a lot out of, you know, Zen practice and recovery. And it's, you know, right there in, in that first step of, you know, accepting that we were powerless and that our lives were unmanageable. And, and I think that that's, that's a big practice for me in my life where I, I catch myself, you know, trying to manage something and manage and manage and manage and manage. And I can just manage all day until, you know, then at one point I'm just like, oh wow. Yeah. Like let go. Um, So I I really appreciated getting that that reminder, you know, from from your life as a a very profound example of that.
2: No, I I had a little bit more to say about you also, but I kept I was starting to run a little short on time. And, uh, you know, what a what a great help you were when I was sewing that Rakasu and ready to give up and, and just struggling. And, you know, you were selling your, all your robes at that time. And, and we talked a,
1: quite a bit about it during that period and, okay. and how supportive you were. My pleasure. And I want to just uh, thank Haitian for bringing you <laughs> And Mark. And Karen. And, and Karen. Bye, Karen. And Karen. Hi Karen. Anybody
4: else? Any comments, responses? Simone. Um, hey, Mark. Uh, you know, like like people said. Thank you for uh, sharing the experience because you know it's an act of kindness to open up in that way with the struggle and that one goes through, and it's so powerful and grippy that I can barely comprehend. But in that specific form, but. Uh, you know, you, you you did the miracle of not wasting pain because it's so evident
1: of what
4: a rare and peculiar transformation that it requires a, a, an amount of strength that it really is admirable and inspiring you did because with all the things that you shared equally comes through the intensity of your presence and passion as probably strong the pain has been so thank you thank you for committing and manifesting that transformation and and the kindness of opening up and and sharing it with everybody around you including us for which I'm grateful and proud that that I got to learn more about you today thank you
1: Thank you for that.